From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come gather around the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. A documentary filmmaker, Ali Siadatan, is standing by to talk about his new project, Goliath Rising. Ian Robertson is on the other side of the glass, twisting the knobs and dials. Uh, Albert Vinzel is here running our HOA, our Hangout on Air. Albert, my occasional remote viewer. What's in the box tonight, my friend? That's a lovely humidor. No expense spared on this program. Uh, and we've got uh, an item in the uh, in the box. What is it? All right. I wrote wooden, yellow, stale, round, cylindrical, so I guessed pencil. And that, that's like a wild guess. But then yellow is stuck in my head, so I also put yellow rubber duck and yellow fire hydrant. <laughs> A fire hydrant. <laughs> Albert, do you think I could fit a fire hydrant in that humidor? I, I, I keep getting yellow, and then I, I, I'm not, not sure after that. All right. You want to open up the box? Open it. I'm sorry, my friend. You did much better last week. It's a baseball. Our little tribute to the World Series here on The Conspiracy Show. Wah, wah, wah. I'm sorry, Albert. It, last week, last week, Albert was very close. He guessed a... Uh, what was it you guessed? I guess green pepper. A green pepper, like a small garden uh, fresh pepper, and it was an olive, actually. So yeah. I was impressed. All right, we'll we'll uh, we'll try again. That's our little segment called What's in the Box? Uh, oh, the mighty Aphrodite just texted me to remind me to mention this. Uh, last week, Albert, I don't know if you know this, We um, last week on the program, we had Megan Barth on from ReaganBaby.com, and we talked about uh, election fraud. She's with the, uh, what was uh, the organization called? The um, uh, Election Integrity Project. And uh, that was in the second hour. In the first hour, we talked about um, Marilyn Monroe, declassified with uh, filmmaker Paul Davids. The, um, the YouTube posting was taken down. And I, I received a couple of emails. And I don't know, I can't say this for certain, but I'm wondering... And I'll get your thoughts on this, whether it had anything to do with the second hour of that program when we were talking about uh, evidence for election fraud. Did you did you uh, happen to notice that, that that was taken down? Uh, I don't know. They, they may have made a copyright claim. Like when you look under the, the our channel, it says like copyright. <laughs> like they had the little copyright warning. But I, I don't know. How could we infringe on copyright? This is my show. Yeah. <laughs> A likely excuse. Anyway, for those um, who were looking for the YouTube uh, video, uh, we, I, I pinned it to the, or the Mighty Aphrodite, I should say, pinned it to the uh, Twitter feed at Richard Serrett. And of course, you can still listen to the audio. You just can't, you can't stream the uh, the Hangout on air on YouTube. But you can go find the podcast if you want. Go to TalkZone.com. Uh, go to my app, Conspiracy Show app which is a free download, and uh, you can find that in the archives. Uh, it's just that the YouTube took it down, and, and um, I I think it had something to do with uh, the, our, my conversation with Megan Barth talking about election fraud. And I had a, a hot and uh, lively one last night on Coast to Coast talking about that very thing as well with uh, Don Jeffries. Uh, 
All right. I want to also give a quick update on a, a program we did uh, several weeks ago with L.A. Marzuli, author of On the Trail of uh, the Nephilim and, of course, uh, the very popular Watcher series. And you'll recall Lynn was, uh, L.A., or Lynn, was on the program talking about this body or corpse of a strange-looking winged creature uh, that he was uh, was given by a UFO researcher in Mexico City. And that story went viral, and he came on, and he was showing x-rays of this creature on our Hangout on Air. And it uh, turns out it was a hoax, which I know will not come as a huge surprise to many or most of you. Uh, for those of you who missed it, again, uh, check out the um, the archives for the podcast or the uh, the live or the uh, the hangout on air on on, on YouTube. Uh, but this was a um, it looked a bit like a sort of a demonic fairy. It was very small, long legs, uh, um, arms, very detailed, kind of a leathery body, and again wings. And uh, some say that maybe perhaps this creature, whatever it was, was the inspiration for the legend of the fairy. But it also, as I say, looked very demonic. And he, Lynn, uh, L.A. Marzulli, took it uh, to a radiologist, he took it to a veterinarian, he took it to a taxidermist, and uh, they were confounded by it. And, and um, finally, I guess he had, they drilled into it and, and took DNA or something, and, and uh, as it turns out, it's a hoax. So I just wanted to update that. That came to light a couple of weeks ago, and it just completely slipped my mind. I mention it now, uh, because we're going to sort of head down that um, path in just a few moments with Ali Siadatan. Uh, but again, just because, you know, it, it, it's like they find, uh, someone claims they find a, a body of Bigfoot and it turns out, uh, turns out to be a hoax. And of course that does great damage to the whole Bigfoot research uh, arena. And just because, you know, this one was a hoax doesn't mean, this doesn't in any way diminish L.A. Marzulli's fine work. Uh, for example, in investigating the uh, the Paracas skulls in Peru, those elongated 2,000-year-old skulls, which he believes, and many others in this field believe, are evidence of this race of giants that once walked the earth. Uh, several races of giants, and they are sometimes referred to as the Nephilim. Uh, the Nephilim, uh, we, we've talked about it many, many times on this program, uh, the product of the sons of God mingling with the daughters of Adam the, uh, and producing this great race of biblical giants, uh, the Goliath from uh, the great David and Goliath story, the fallen ones, sometimes referred to as the Rephaim, the dead ones. All these descriptions and, uh, apply to uh, a group of characters found within the Hebrew Bible, uh, but we're gonna we're gonna drill down a little bit tonight and discuss who are the Nephilim, who were they, uh, from where do the heroes of old, the men of renown, come? And I should mention also that L.A. Marzuli is is featured in a new documentary project, as yet released, called Goliath Rising: Hybrids, Nephilim, and Titans, and it's the a latest project by a good friend of the program, Ali Siadatan, born in Iran, uh, has been involved in a lifelong search into spirituality. He feels that the hand that has guided him through life has led him into the examination of the relationship that exists between angels and UFOs. And after finishing a master's degree in French language and literature at the University of Toronto, Ali decided to pursue his passion for the Chinese arts of Kung Fu. I studied uh, Kung Fu for about three weeks with Ali. Didn't go so well. <laughs> anyway, a Tai Chi also. He's a practitioner. He's opened a, a martial arts center. And uh, today they run a, a martial arts and health center. Uh, his documentary, UFOs, Angels and Gods, was his first attempt at directing and writing for the audiovisual arts. His research into UFOs has inspired him to write a fiction book 
that he's been working on, as well as a second documentary uh, that I just mentioned on the rise of the Antichrist entitled Goliath Rising, Hybrids, Nephilim, and Titans. Ali Siadatan, welcome once again to The Conspiracy Show. How are you, my friend? Fine, thank you, Richard. It's great to be on the show. We have, uh, you know, I don't do this very often, Ali, so you're very special. We're going to do the whole two hours <laughs> with you. you. And well, just, I look forward to it. Uh, and just a note to our affiliates listening, uh, or, or down the uh, down the line, it, you might want to, um, and there are some affiliates who carry this, uh, just the first hour of this program, so they might want to consider uh, carrying the second hour of this program the following week so that they get the full two hours. All right, let's begin with uh, the Nephilim. Mentioned uh, two, maybe three times. I'm not, are they mentioned in Ezekiel? I know they're mentioned in Genesis and Numbers. You'll tell me in a moment, but... Uh, they're by name mentioned in Genesis and Numbers, yes. Uh, but they're also by tribe name mentioned in Genesis and Deuteronomy in the stories of Abraham and in the stories of the tribes that inhabit the land at the time of Joshua and Caleb. But by name, the Nephilim are mentioned in the Genesis and in Numbers. Yeah. All right. And, he, and here is the passage, uh, Genesis, uh, I think it's chapter 6, verse 4. The Nephilim were on the earth both in those days and afterward, when the sons of God came to the daughters of mankind who bore children to them, they were the powerful men of old, the famous men. Now, let's just uh, contemplate this passage for a moment. Mm-hmm. And when you read it, there's nothing there really that's derogatory or negative. You might almost, you might also, you might almost think that they're being praised. They were the powerful men of old, the famous men. They right. came to the daughters of mankind who bore children to them. So, right, I mean, what do we make of this passage? Because right off, right out of the gate, there's nothing here that sounds untowards about the, the Nephilim. Yes, the um, you could also think. When Darth Vader says to Luke, I'm your father, if you just look at that scene, he's, all he's saying is, hey, you've just found your father. It's a good thing. But if you know the entire story, uh, then you see you have a context. So there's a larger context um, in this passage, and we have to take into consideration all of the passages where this phenomenon is mentioned and then place that into the larger story, and then we'll know whether these guys are cast as good or bad. Um, now, one thing I think that's very important to note is that um, in the 20th century, starting with I.D. Thompson, Elie Marzulli, or um, uh, Chuck Missler, uh, uh, we produced UFOs, Angels, and Gods. There was a whole perspective that came from looking into the modern-day UFO phenomenon and alien abductions and how hybrids were somehow involved. All of that also took the veil away of this passage, which, which had been glossed over for so many centuries by uh, people who read the, the Bible, I guess. And, and now it suddenly became something that is real. But it, the modern-day abduction phenomenon itself, a very well-documented phenomenon, is something that has to be taken into consideration when we're right. looking into deep mythology. And we, we will connect the dots, and we will um, um, make the connection, or you will make the connection, to make the case... Uh, that these passages mentioning the Nephilim uh, connect up, connect to the modern-day UFO, ET, alien abduction phenomenon. But uh, you, you said we have to understand the context. So let's back up in Genesis. And it does. It talks about the sons of God, the B'nai Elohim. 
Yeah. Uh, and again, it says they saw that the daughters of mankind were beautiful and they took any they chose as wives for themselves. So the, the who were then? Who who are the Benai Elohim? Who are the sons of God? Well, as you kind of start digging, um, there is a very interesting passage in the New Testament in the letter attributed to Jude, where he quotes the seventh from Adam, Enoch, um, and the book of Enoch, you know, miraculously after being unavailable for centuries, even though a book of great value and understood as a book of wisdom by Jewish scholars as well as early Christians, you know, this, this book disappears and makes a reappearance in the 18th century when a, a, a Scottish explorer finds it. And then in the 20th century, it becomes, uh, comes to the forefront of the consciousness of many people. Yeah, it's not, book, it's not part of the, the, the uh, biblical canon. It's, uh, well, it's, it's the Apocrypha, right? It's, it's yeah. not included in... Uh, in the canon proper right. that is believed Ezra created of the Old Testament. And so here, but it's a book of wisdom, it's a book of value, and it is mentioned in the Bible proper, in the canon, it is referenced. And this book comes to life, and we can, you can go buy it in a local store now, and the prophecy that Jude quotes is actually there, and you can see where he got it from, so he obviously had access to it uh, in the first century. And what that book does is it expands on this Genesis 6 passage that you read, it expands it. It's like this is a Coles Notes, Cliff Notes version. Um, suddenly, we're going back in time to, to an eyewitness. Okay, we're going. We're going to go into a break here. So, just if you can, explain very quickly uh, uh, who were the sons of God, the Benai Elohim. Well, it seems that they're a subcategory of the Elohim, which is the word used of all of these divine beings, including God Himself at the helm, and Adam and Eve as well. So these guys, in Christian language, would be called fallen angels, even though it's important to note that the word fallen angel is never used in the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation. That okay. term doesn't exist in the Bible. All right, so the, the, the fallen angels saw that the daughters of mankind were beautiful, and they took as any they chose as wives for themselves. Now, that's interesting as well. We'll drill down on that, because that seems to imply, possibly, that uh, the the wives that they chose were somehow... Uh, uh, in agreement with this arrangement, or maybe not. Maybe they were they were forced into it. We'll find that out as well. Ali Siadatan, documentary filmmaker, Goliath Ri Rising, right here on The Conspiracy Show. Do not go away. Different views make great conversation. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrant. All right, press the mic button, dummy. <laughs> All right, there we, we're back on. Uh, we'll get back to our conversation with Ali Siadatan, filmmaker. Thinkagainproductions.com is the website. You can find out, I think you can see a trailer for his, uh, his new project called Goliath Rising. It's not complete. It's a work in progress. Uh, and I, th he'll tell us in a moment, but I think he's going to be sort of releasing it in installments. And, uh, this is the follow-up to a, a film that he produced about ten years ago. Um, UFOs, Angels and Gods. Drawing the connection between biblical accounts of, uh, of fallen angels uh, and uh, commingling with the daughters of men, producing a race of uh, giants known as the Nephilim, and he draws uh, the connection between that biblical narrative and the modern-day UFO, ET, alien abduction phenomena. Uh, before we get back to that, I just wanted to mention this briefly. Um, Arnold Beiser, Arnold Beiser is uh, has been on the program a couple of times, and he is also... I've been on my television program. I think it was season two. We did an episode called Bible Codes. And uh, he just sent me this. 
and I I just asked the mighty Aphrodite to, to uh, post it on my Twitter feed. Um, but it is what he says. It's a split screen showing Chris Wallace, the moderator from the third debate of Fox, uh, Fox News. And I thought he did a pretty good job as a moderator, by far the most balanced. But uh, Arnold doesn't think so. In fact, he says he's got uh, proof here that Chris Wallace and Fox News, he's caught them fixing the final debate. And uh, in this split screen, you can you can see... Crooked Hillary, he says, seen flashing two obvious pre-arranged hand signals on cue to Chris Wallace early in sequence. And then you can listen to uh, Chris Wallace immediately cut off Trump from speaking. Wallace continually interrupted Trump during the entire debate while Hillary was allowed to talk his head off. Uh, anyway, uh, I'll, we're going to get that posted to Twitter. If it's not up there now, it will be soon, at Richard Serrett. And uh, you can um, you can make your own decision. All right, let's get back to Ali Siadatan. The documentary is Goliath Rising. Now, Ali, before the break, we were talking about uh, the the, the uh, these fallen angels uh, taking for wives any woman that they chose. Now, is what does that tell us? Were these women were they compliant? Were they forced into it? Uh, was there some sort of a mutual understanding? Well, I, I would say that they saw it as a promotion. You know, you mingle with something that is obviously of a higher power, you have a better standing and among your own your own kind. All right. Now, the, 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 the big question that has always confounded me is we're talking about fallen angels. Now, how does a fallen angel... Uh, and angels are not the same as humans. They were created by God, but they are entirely different. How can... A human being, a woman, um, produce offspring with uh, a, a spirit. What I th- always thought of, or think of as a spiritual entity, a, an entity of consisting of spirit. We're talking about angels here, fallen angels. How is that possible? That's a very good question. Um, as this whole thing opened up, and imagine for fifteen hundred years. Uh, the, Christ, the church doesn't look at this passage. It's buried. Um, it's humanized. And suddenly we realize during this time we develop a whole understanding of angels. Think of it as posted notes. They have birds' wings. Uh, they look like cute little boys. Um, they um, are, as you say, uh, com- non-physical entities perhaps uh, because there are spirit beings in the Bible clearly, but they're also physical beings. God himself is presented in the Torah and in, in the Old Testament in the Tanakh as a physical being who visits Abraham, who walks in the Garden of Eden, um, and many other passages. Uh, he walks among his people. He's with his people. And then, of course, in the New Testament, was very blatant, God enters the line of David and fulfills his own uh, laws, so sacrificial you, laws. So, so you're he, saying that the, that interpretation of angels, uh, fallen angels included, yeah. uh, the head, the head uh, fallen angel being uh, Lucifer, right. this interpretation uh, of them being spirit beings, these winged uh, creatures, that's, that's not true. That's inaccurate. There are beings of spirit in the Bible. There's one passage in 1 Kings 22 where God is talking to a heavenly council and uh, one of these uh, energy beings comes forward to respond to God's request. Uh, so there's, there's definitely that. But there is in the Bible also physical beings. God has created an immense variety 
in look at the oceans, look into the plant life. So in the Bible, it's very well documented that there's a physical universe, and we can see it now through the Hubble telescope. Um, no one before us uh, in the Middle Ages and other places, they couldn't see the heavens the way we are seeing it. Um, and we see that God enters, is in the universe, God enters the physical world. Also, it's something we have to consider. It's not just about spirit and energy beings. It's about also physical beings. These are characters in the Bible. Um, so there is a story handed down in our traditions where we've hyper-focused and, and, and made energy the very substance of an entire realm. While God himself is here among us, he apparently rides on the back of a donkey and, and, and enters the fisherman's boat. Uh, he's also in the heavens, in the universe, with his angels. He, he's, he's very intimate in his connection with the physical world. Okay, no, no, I got it. You're, okay, so you're saying that... The, we can't ignore that either. Right, all right. So it's possible that the fallen angels were physical beings. Yes. And, uh, you know, there are, and angels were physical beings, fallen angels, angels, basically the same, except these were angels that rebelled. And they, so they had offspring, and, uh, they, the, the, the offspring were known as Nephilim. These were, well, I mean, look at look at the modern-day abduction phenomenon. Again, that it has to be taken into consideration suddenly because the times we live in become face-to-face with these beings. We don't have to doubt anymore whether they're physical or... Okay, I don't want to get too far ahead now. We I can see them. Right. I don't want to get too far ahead, but we'll make but that I mean, connection. I just want to throw yeah. that up there as part of how we, we consider okay. because apparently the Bible is talking about the real world outside of our windows. Right. So so the offspring were giants. And again, it, it talks... These were the powerful men of old, the men of renown, the famous men. So yes. what do they mean, or what is meant by these were the powerful men of old? Are we talking about... Mighty the, ones. The mighty the ones. Burim. And they are champions. You know, they, they can wield might. They have knowledge. Um, they are the offspring of... of, of the Benah Elohim and the sons of Adam, and Adam in the Bible is also called an Elohim, um, and so these are they can mingle with us because apparently they're called the, uh, the sons of Elohim and we're called Elohim, and God is called Elohim. We have a common source, and so they're kind of you know coming in with their cousins in some ways. There, there is a connection in this universal family. And their children are different. Now, the word Nephilim, it is said that it comes from the Nephal, fallen ones, and so there's a feeling of something has descended, fallen. Um, but it also, in a different spelling, can be taken from the Aramaic um, and, and from the Mesopotamian origins and be called giants. And that's how it's spelled in numbers. It's slightly spelled differently. But regardless, Jerome, who translates the Bible, from the Hebrew to the language of everyday Romans, the Vulgate, in the 4th century, so everyone can read it, he translates the word Nephilim as gigantus, and that's how it enters into our English as giants. All right, and and, and there are many mentions of uh, giants. I think there are something like 22 individual giants mentioned in the Bible, and then there are many, many tribes. Um, there are the Jebusites and the Cadmonites and the Kenites and the... Uh, the Anakim, the, the Zanzumim, the Raphaim, these are the Raphaim, the Sidonians. The of Bashan. Bashan was a very, you know, important region of Nephilim. So the uh, Holy Land, what is now the Holy Land, was just crawling with these, with these, with these giants. Is that the idea? Yeah, the the, uh, the whole yes, it was crawling with giants. Now we understand that 
Um, Abraham, by the way, also before the time of Israel, fought these tribes of giants. That's also mentioned in the book of Genesis, uh, around 14, 15. The battles of Abraham are mentioned with the tribes of the Nephilim. And as God reveals this plan and brings Abraham out of Mesopotamia and says, look, I'm going to take you to this land, this is part of the separation at uh, at the Babel, the nations are scattered and different languages are given to them. And the very next chapter, we see that God calls one of them out for himself. There's a clear separation made and Satan follows the trail, it seems, from Mesopotamia to what is going to be this promised land. And by the time the children of Israel get to it, they send their spies, and the spies come out, and they say there's Nephilim on the land. Yeah. To ourselves, we seemed like grasshoppers, and we must have seemed the same to them. In other words, he's, who, uh, uh, the, these spies uh, that, that are sent into Canaan are, are describing these giants. We, we, we were like grasshoppers to them. That's how big they were. Yes. Now, um, so, but, but we're talking about Angels. These are fallen angels. Not, but is there anything necessarily or inherently then evil about these Nephilim? They're half human. Now, yeah. the, their their fathers, they're descended of a race of angels who simply rebelled. But does that make these giants in and of themselves evil? You know, I, I kind of feel bad for them because they always play the role of the losers in the Bible. They're killed of the flood. They're killed by Abraham, they're killed by Joshua and Caleb and destroyed, and they're destroyed at the second coming uh, by the son of David. So they are playing the role of losers, and they're definitely pawns in a much larger game. So Right, because, because God uh, orders uh, in the Old Testament, God will order the Israelites into these villages and order them to smite every man, woman, and child. And that's always been difficult for many Christians to reconcile. How could an, a merciful God order the Israelites to go in and, and, and kill men, women, and children? But then, if we're talking about villages that were inhabited, that were entirely a race of these Nephilim, it makes sense, sort of, uh, but only if if you can make the case that these giants are are evil. Well... Since they are tools of their masters, and, and definitely uh, in the Bible, when you look at a 30,000 feet bird's eye view of the story, these masters of the Nephilim, the Benai Elohim, as you mentioned, the sons of God, um, the watchers, as Enoch calls them, they are cast as bad guys in the larger tale of the Bible. So their actions don't produce good fruit. They hurt people. They hurt the creation. They hurt us. Uh, so it doesn't lead to good things. Um, before the flood, uh, the consensus uh, so far has been that the idea was to corrupt the bloodline that led to the Savior. After the flood, um, the, it continues to be a place of uh, way to influence worldly power. We have now writings that we've dug up from the ground that talk about human tribes hiring tribes of Nephilim to shift the balance of power in their favor as champions, perhaps Goliath and his brothers were hired by the Philistines to be champions for them. Mercenary soldiers. Mercenary, mercenary soldiers. soldiers. Okay, so, but, but uh, the, the, this commingling, contamination of the gene pool, yes. uh, many believe that this led to God's decision to flood the earth, to clean uh, the gene pool, and only there was one pure family, that was Moses and his family. And uh, Noah. Noah, I'm sorry, Noah, correct. Uh, and so then what happens, the giants, those that were remained, uh, those that remained were, were wiped out in the flood, 
but then they come back again, correct? How does that happen? Well, that's a very interesting point. Um, I think the, there's a story that, that Jesus, um, uh, whom the Jews knew as Yeshua, he told that I think clarifies the whole matter. It's called the parable of the wheat and the tares. And when they came into the inner chamber, the, the disciples said, and what did you mean by that story? Because he always spoke in these veiled stories, which was a teaching method. And he said, well, um, the, the gardener who came and planted his seeds uh, was God. He, he talked, he, his story was about a gardener planted seeds. And while he was sleeping, another came and he now reveals that that was the devil. And he planted his seeds in the garden. And then when he woke up, the servant said, should we go and tear out his seeds and throw it away? He said, no, wait. The tares um, are connected to my wheat, and if you tear his out, then you'll tear mine out as well. So wait until the time of harvest comes, take mine out, put them in the bar, and take the tares away and destroy them, burn them. And in Hebrew, the word tares is a word that implies a genetically modified wheat. Aha. All right. Let's just leave it there. We'll uh, take a time out. Aliciata Tan, thinkagainproductions.com, the website, the documentary... Goliath Rising, back with more. Stay with us. Shaking the world and seeing what falls. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. Ali Siadatan stays with us. He is uh, with us for the full two hours of this uh, transmission. And we are talking about his uh, work in progress, a new documentary project called Goliath Rising. And we'll get back to that in just a moment. Uh, just a programming note. Next week, another two-hour extravaganza, the $26 trillion man, uh, Ambassador Leo Emil Wanta. Uh, we'll be back with a full two hours. And we are going to uh, – well, Leo um, doesn't believe the uh, election is going to take place. And he'll uh, outline his reasoning for that, why he believes that's the case. Uh, one more item I just want to mention, and our good friend George Freund, who has uh, been on the program a number of times. George Freund has a very popular uh, podcast called the Conspiracy Cafe. Conspiracy Cafe. Uh, Google that and, and subscribe, please. George does great work. And he sent this to me uh, yesterday. He's talking about, this is kind of worrisome, you know about the the Russian naval vessels that are uh, moving through the English Channel en route to Syria. And uh, George is, uh, has noted that a number of U.S. naval carriers, a number, a number of carriers, have moved out of the region. So he's, he's drawing a parallel between this and Pearl Harbor. He said the same thing happened before the Pearl Harbor attack. A great Japanese fleet approached Hawaii in strength, or sorry, in stealth, although everybody knew. Well, that's the theory anyway. The last act was to pull the carriers and let the attack occur on less valuable ships. That's true. The, the, um, all the, um, a good portion of the, um, the fleet that was stationed at Pearl Harbor had moved out. Now, the USS Arizona and others, those were not the big carriers. Um, and for the first time, George says, I can remember there are no carriers in the Middle East. Even the light carrier USS Wasp has been pulled out from the Libyan mission and replaced by the USS San Antonio, a far less capable ship with no fixed wing aircraft. The USS Theodore Roosevelt has left theater, returning to California, most likely via the Spratly Islands where China asserts war for trespass. The Russian carrier battle group is heading into the Mediterranean under the cloud of war. 
it would seem like an odd time for the most important warships, the U.S. carriers, to be AWOL. The French carrier, Charles de Gaulle, is in Cyprus, so there is one to counter the Russians. I can't help feeling, George writes, somehow we're being set up again for a surprise attack. The USS Truman is supposed to fill the gap soon. The USS Kearsage is supposed to replace the Wasp eventually, but at present, the serious mission-capable ships are absent. Why, he asks. History in the making. Imagine observing a Japanese fleet on the way to Pearl Harbor or the, the movements to Jutland in World War One. You'd have to go back to World War II and the battles against the Italian Navy for a taste of what may occur very soon again in the Mediterranean. With the nuclear option on the table, things will never be the same again. The Russians are not happy with Clinton. Her election may very well start a war. And like the Bible states, it, com- it can come like a thief in the night. That's the media's prophetic role. Again, that's at George Freund, Conspiracy Cafe. All right. Uh, uh, back to Ali Siadatan and uh, Goliath Rising. So, the uh, let's see, where were we? We were talking about um, the race the of giants. and the wheat. Right, so Jesus' parable, and I was asking you, what happened to the, the, the Nephilim, the, the race of giants, the, some 39 tribes in, uh, mentioned in the Bible, that were walking the earth, wiped out uh, by the flood, but then they're seen afterwards. So again, in other words, the, the fallen angels go back to their old tricks after the flood, and they start commingling with the daughters of men and producing more giants. Is that the idea? Yeah, I think that um, in Genesis 3, when God declares war between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman, now I understand that the seed of the serpent doesn't just refer to the final character who rises against the Messiah. It actually refers to this entire phenomenon that we are going to witness throughout history, and that is what the parable of Jesus is pointing to. And while then the devil planted his seeds. And so it is something that is throughout history. Um, We see it really come into play in Genesis 6, and we see it afterwards. Uh, now, there's a larger story here to look at in order to know, you're saying, well, how do we know these guys are bad? Why are they, why are they uh, the bad guys? Well, every time they come into play, they counter something God is trying to do. And we really see that as we look at the story from a bird's eye view. Uh, you were mentioning about the Nephilim, which were in the land. The slaves are freed by God. They come to get the land that God had promised Abraham. And lo and behold, there are these Nephilim there again that stops it, stops it. So there is a plan that God has for redemption, we believe, and this is trying to be uh, paused. However, you no one can really stop the plan. It continues. There right. is this idea of Goliath and David. Again, we see killed King David, killed the one from whom the Messiah is going to emerge. Yet that doesn't happen again. And so we, we continue to see a negative interference into the very direct plans of God for redeeming uh, the humanity that was left dead and left under the rule of the fallen angels, as we see the gods. Okay, let me ask you this, Anneli. Where are the giants, then, in the New Testament? Why, why no mention of giants? Well, Peter talks about the ones, again, talking about the time of Enoch. Peter, in, in his letters, in, in one of his letters, he talks about how these angels were arrested, put in chains, and taken to the underworld, uh, to, to Tarsus, uh, to Hades, and they're kept there uh, in chains, and how the Lord goes and speaks with them. Who knows what he told them? Uh, and we see that in the book of Revelation, there are four um, watchers who are kept in the river Euphrates in Revelation 9, and they are released from their prison, perhaps God is using the tectonic plates 
as underground caves to hold these mighty fallen angels. So they're mentioned in Jude, they're mentioned in Peter, and they're mentioned in Revelation. And Paul talks about how, um, um, you know, the very controversial uh, passage about the covering of head, and he talks about how a woman should cover their head uh, when they're praying, things like that. And, but then he has this enigmatic sentence, because of the angels, and you think, Whoa, where did that come from? You know, your mind goes in one direction when you read something uh, of that culture, and then suddenly he twists it in this other direction. So there are New Testament passages that talk about this. All right, we're going to take a time out. But meanwhile, when we come back, meanwhile, let's flash ahead. Suddenly, in the 1800s, late 1800s, 19th century, early 20th century, we start getting these strange stories, even in in reputable newspapers, about these burial mounds where archaeologists are uncovering these skeletal remains of what appear to be giants right here in North America, in places like Wisconsin. Uh, And uh, then we have, of course, the elongated Paracas skulls in Peru, 2,000 years old. Uh, how does that connect? We'll uh, discuss further. Aliciatatan, Goliath Rising, thinkagainproductions.com. Stay with us. Don't be afraid of the dark. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Aliciatatan, thinkagainproductions.com. He's with us for the full two hours. We're discussing Nephilim uh, and the Elohim, uh, the, the fallen angels commingling with the daughters of men, creating an offspring, a race of, of giants, the Nephilim. And uh, sort of tracking, you know, their whereabouts uh, throughout history. And uh, I mentioned before the break, uh, archaeologists uncovering these skeletal remains of uh, what appear to be giants. Uh, we know that there were letters back and forth between, for example, some of these archaeologists. These were reported in the New York Times, if you go into the archives. Uh, letters to the Smithsonian acknowledging, okay, we, you know, yes, you found this. Uh, apparently, you know, body, uh, skeletal remains were shipped to museums, yet we don't see them on display. We have a very, <clears throat> excuse me, we have a very interesting speech by a young Abraham Lincoln before he, before he was president. He's, I believe he's campaigning for someone else and he's in Niagara Falls, uh, as, sort of as a tourist. And then he says something very peculiar about uh, while he's at the um, at the falls. Uh, I'm just trying to find the um, uh, the passage here, if I can. Um, he said the uh, he's talking again about the the wonderful um, you know the falls. Uh, when Moses led Israel through the Red Sea, nay, even when Adam first came from the hand of the Maker, then as now Niagara was roaring here. He's talking about the falls. The eye, now get this, the eyes of that species of extinct giants whose bones fill the mounds of America have gazed on Niagara as ours do now. Interesting. Interesting. The eyes of the uh, of that species of extinct giants whose bones fill the mounds of America. So, Ali, uh, is this proof positive that these Nephilim came to North America? Um, well, this was definitely one piece of proof. Uh, there is the incredible architecture we see in Peru. Uh, there's a road there uh, where all of these sites are on the same road. Uh, there are skulls that have been dug up from cemeteries where they have been killed with blunt instruments on their heads because we see the mark on every skull. Uh, there are the serpent mounds. Uh, there is all of this here as though, you know, it seems that when Joshua and Caleb pushed them out of the Middle East, they might have gone over the Barren Straits and entered here. 
there's, you mentioned archaeology. There's also archaeological writings dug up from Mesopotamia, uh, like the tale of Gilgamesh, which is the story of a very powerful uh, giant who was a ruler of Uruk, where Iraq gets its name from in the south of Mesopotamia, one of the most ancient uh, pre- and post-flood cities. And then in the Dead Sea Scrolls, we found the Book of Giants, an actual book called the Book of Giants. And it is there that the names of specific giants are mentioned, including Gilgamesh, who many believe may have survived the flood. All right. I want to work in a phone call, and then I want to talk to you about uh, L.A. Marzulli, who is in your documentary. You've interviewed L.A. Uh, yeah. We brought him to, uh, to town, you and I, um, over a year ago for yeah. our uh, As in the Days of Noah conference. Yeah. Uh, let's work in a call here. Michael is in Newmarket uh, tonight. Michael, welcome. Yes. Uh, good evening, Richard. And I forgot the guest's name. Ali. But... Ali Siadatan. Uh, Adam? Yeah. Ali. Ali. Oh, Ali. Okay, listen. In, uh, the, in the book of Numbers, the Israelites uh, were just about to go into the land, and they sent out 12 spies. Ten of them uh, uh, gave a bad report saying that fortified cities, and there were Nephilim uh, in, in the land, whereas uh, the two, Joshua and Caleb, Obviously, said, "Okay, let's go for it, boys." Uh, right, we mentioned that. That's uh, as you say in numbers. We even saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak uh, come here from the Nephilim to ourselves. We seemed like grasshoppers, and we must have seemed the same to them. Right. So they saw the giants. Yeah. So did uh, the Israelites ever have every reason to be scared? And if not, what was their sin? Um, their sin was a lack of faith. Uh, because God had brought them out of the most important uh, stronghold of the fallen angels, uh, Egypt. And the Elohim of Mizraim, the gods of Egypt, had been humbled. And God had freed them from Pharaoh, the most powerful human ruler anywhere, uh, and with a mighty hand. And, and yet they were afraid of what they were seeing. Uh, so it seems that there was a lack of faith. Uh, they in, in the God of, of Abraham that they had heard about through their stories, but now they were <laughs> directly in contact with and was there with them. Okay, Michael, thank you for the call. I want to move ahead now. Uh, L.A. Marzulli, um, and in his investigation into the Paracas skulls, these are these elongated skulls which are on display uh, in museums. Uh, I believe it's, in, it's is it either Peru or Bolivia, and, and uh, L.A. has been there. Uh, they have conducted, they've, they've given an, an amazing access. I don't know how he does it, but uh, they, they, people just seem to, to trust him and like him, and they hand over these artifacts, and he's had DNA samples and so forth. What is your perception, or what, is your, what are your thoughts on these Paracas skulls, elongated skulls that L.A. and others believe uh, are evidence, uh, these are skulls of uh, uh, Nephilim? Well, I don't doubt that they are skulls uh, to be found in the ground, and they, you know, in the more ancient world, there's been more time to hide them. Uh, doesn't mean that they were not, you know, skulls found in the Mediterranean regions, uh, because we see the writings of the Greeks and the Persians. I mean, everyone's talking about them. I, I was in Persopolis, in the capital of Cyrus in Persia, and w- with my father, we were looking at these great pillars of this incredible architecture. And my father, who's an architect, was telling me, you know, it's, this would be difficult for us to erect even today. I wonder how they did it then. And there was a local. A villager there with his family it was day off and he's brought us home to walk through these ruins and I turned around to him and I said hey how do you think they built these things and he, you know, he 
very, took my question very seriously, and he said, well, the ancient cuneiform writings of the Persians talk about champions uh, that they had, and these champions were giants, uh, and they are the ones who built this. And I thought, here's another oral tradition. There's oral traditions from Europe, the, from the Maltese island, from many places in Asia and Europe. But in America, where there has been less traffic, less people walking around, less people building cities, these bones have been not so disturbed. But what's interesting for me as far as this continent, uh, going back to, you know, Zechariah Sitchin and, and, and people uh, from the 70s and 80s, there has been, uh, everyone has been pointing to the incredible architecture and technology um, of the Incas um, and, and, and the stuff we find in Peru is absolutely mind-boggling. And the Mayan pyramids, they look very much like the Ziggurats of Mesopotamia and the pyramids of Egypt. There is definitely something here that had deep knowledge of mathematics and of uh, how to move stones and how to... In Machu Picchu, you see those stones sticking together without mortar. Um, well, that's pretty precise stone cutting. Um, and so they could uh, do things that uh, humans may have not been able to do, uh, such as lift things, perhaps move them telepathically, move them, um, not telepathically, but um, telekinesis, moving objects, plinting, because we see that in the modern abduction phenomenon. So I think that when you put all of it together, the architecture and the bones of an undisturbed ground, um, and the stories of the Bible and the writings from all around the world, from all of these ancient civilizations and the oral traditions, I think that the evidence is very clear. There has been an attempt to hide this from us the okay. way that there's but, an attempt to hide it today from us. But, but, back, to the, but back to the Paracas skulls, these elongated yes. skulls. And I don't yes. know if this conversation came up in your interviews with L.A. Marzuli for, for Goliath Rising. But, I mean, he believes that these are the skulls of the Nephilim. Or, I mean, he's very careful. I, I don't know that he would say that, but he's investigating to see whether they are. Yes. And, and the critics, of course, would suggest that, no, these elongated skulls are the result of what's called cradle boarding, where you take a child, uh, an infant, and you sort of over time, you kind of uh, cradle boarding, you stretch the skull, uh, and it's um, this is simply, you know, uh, for whatever cultural reason, this is what they did with certain children. And, and as they grew into adults, their skulls were very elongated. Yeah, the second you look at the skulls, if you just go and Google them and look at them, the second with your eyes you see them, you realize this is not just, you know, the, the tribal practice of elongating skulls for beauty. Uh, this is something very different. Um, and then there's the, the, there, there are cemeteries in which skulls are found in the United States itself. And, and you're right, there is a, you know, he is, LA has this great thing about a picture uh, that he saw in a museum in the archives, and uh, you can clearly see an archaeologist standing over a very huge skeletal structure, a, a, a skeletal of a being, of, of what looks like a human, but it's very, very tall. It looks like 18 feet tall. Um, and then, you know, the picture goes missing and it gets edited off uh, and posted right in front of the museum, but with that, with that part taken off. There's definitely a conspiracy. Uh, so these skulls, the second you look at them, you realize these are not elongated. You can see it with your own eyes. All right. And so we're still waiting for some sort of genetic definitive DNA. DNA and genetic testing and... Yes. and uh, uh, I suspect that the nuclear uh, uh, DNA will will be inconclusive, yeah. and the um, mitochondrial DNA may, if these are in fact hybrids, will 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 be uh, perhaps human. Anyway, that's uh, we'll we'll discuss that maybe uh, later. Very quickly, just before we uh, we break here, uh, or say goodbye momentarily. 
the the documentary Goliath Rising. How is it going to be released? We just have about a minute here, Ali. Yes, it, re- it will be released in ten minutes uh, pieces. Uh, we uh, we we, are, we have twenty hours of footage. We're editing and we're releasing, and we're now um, and getting ready to interview new guests. And it has a, a mind of its own. I really do feel that. Uh, uh, the hand that you know uh, of God, uh, were, you know, leads me uh, prayfully as I go forward, and that's part of the adventure. It unfolds. Okay, and how can people see it? Um, right now, what people can watch is uh, while they're waiting, they can watch UFOs, Angels, and Gods. Um, uh, they can watch it uh, on YouTube, or they can go on our website and pay two dollars and watch it, and, and, and we would appreciate that. Uh, and there's a trailer, but it will be coming out through Vimeo, and people can watch it uh, on Vimeo. Vimeo, and but in the meantime, they should go to the website thinkagainproductions.com, and this will be released in 10-minute installments. You have got 20 hours of footage, and uh, L.A. Marzuli and uh, Dr. David Jacobs, of course, and we'll yeah. talk about him. Um, Ali, thank you. Hang in there. Don't go anywhere. My website, strangeplanet.ca. Please say hello on Twitter at Richard Serrett, and please subscribe. Uh, well, download the free app, The Conspiracy Show, and also Zuma Radio. Two free apps, terrific, terrific apps. And as always, follow the truth.